Last week, we continued a series called Practicing the Presence. We have talked about how we are a people who are gasping for breath, right? And we we know that the presence of God is what gives us the air that we so desperately need. Last week, we talked about how we are a people who are very hurried. We run around fast-paced lives, and we needed to learn last week what it looks like for us to practice the presence of God by slowing our lives down. And today we're going to continue our series called Practicing the Presence. Uh, Today we're going to focus on what do we do when we want to practice the presence of God, but life seems difficult. Now, don't tell everybody the story around you, but can you just relate to a second to this? Like, life has been hard for you, right? Can you just look at your neighbor and go, I see you. I know life has been hard for you. Just encourage them for just a quick second. It's okay. You're welcome here. It's a safe place. I know life has been challenging uh, for you for a lot of different reasons. The last few years in particular, well, I know that people experience things like pain and grief and suffering and, and loss and anxiety for all kinds of different reasons. But just so that we can understand the importance of a topic like, uh, like this and talking about these sorts of things in the church, can we narrow down for just a moment onto just within all of the different things that we would say make life difficult, let's just narrow our focus onto grief for ju- just a moment. Uh, reasons for grief might include things like the loss of a job, the death of a pet, the loss of a close friendship, divorce, or the death of a loved one. If we were to actually narrow our focus even further, you may not know this, but statistics show that on average, about 2.5 million people die each year in the United States. Uh, And those are statistics that were from the year 2000 to 2019, and we were seeing an average uptick of 1 to 1.5% Uh, uh, more people dying in the United States every year since the year 2000 to 2019. And then for reasons that you are going to be aware of, that number jumped up another 1 million people per year for the last three years of people just in the United States who are dying. So over 3.4 million people on average over the last three years have died within the United States of America. Each of those people, if you were to imagine that each of those people left an average of five grieving people behind, that would be somewhere between 12 to 17 million people experiencing grief over the death of a loved one annually just in the United States alone. Of those 17 million people, uh, professionals in the field say that somewhere between 10 to 20% of people experiencing grief will then move on to experiencing an overwhelming or debilitating kind of grief that is actually becoming called, uh, the, the modern language is starting to call this complicated grief. So there's grief, and then there's the grief that you get stuck in because it's so layered and nuanced, and maybe you're experiencing grief because of multiple different reasons all at the same time. That means that during an average year in the United States alone, somewhere around 7 million people may be stuck in what we would call complicated grief only resulted from the loss of a loved one. Now, add back in all of those who are grieving for non-death-related reasons. 
the, the loss of a job or uh, the loss of a relationship, for example. Uh, this might be anybody experiencing physical, mental, or emotional pain. These are, uh, maybe you've talked to somebody who is still, after all of this time, experiencing the physical ramifications of what we might call the long haul symptoms of COVID-19, or maybe they, uh, their, their company closed down, and, or maybe there's, there's been a loss of a relationship that happened to so many of us over the last few years. The truth is people struggle with things like depression and anxiety. Uh, many of us living in the chaotic world that we are in, the point that I'm trying to make is something that I think you all know, but we're trying to put a number on it, that of the over 340 million people living in the United States, many of us are in pain. We're hurting, and we just don't know what to do about that. Well, today, we're going to walk through a passage of Scripture that has been a gift from the Lord to those of us who are experiencing pain for generations. Now, before we move any further, before we actually talk about what that passage is, uh, I told you to turn to Psalm 23. We're going to read that passage in just a moment. Before we get to that, can I, can I just pause here and say if you or someone that you know is experiencing grief or pain, particularly if you or someone you know and care about is stuck in grief and pain, you do not have to go through that alone. One of the functions of the church is to build one, up, one another up, to hold up each other when we are experiencing pain. You do not have to struggle by yourself. And if there is a, 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 a sense of grief or pain in your life that goes beyond what just the friends of your church can come around you. We also have resources to connect you to professional Christian counselors, and we would be deeply honored if you would talk to one of, uh, one of us, literally just talk to anybody connected to the church, and we will find a way to get you connected to a resource to have somebody that you can speak with. You do not have to experience what you're experiencing alone. We can sit and talk. We can talk and pray. We can, we can meet regularly. We encourage you to do that. Uh, and, and I just wanted to make sure that you hear, before we talk about what does God say about your grief and pain and how do you practice the presence in the middle of that, please hear this. This is not just a message for you to hear and walk out the doors by yourself and go wrestle with your grief and pain. We're inviting you into the community to wrestle with this together. And, and by even way of disclosure, can I just say to you, I was talking to my wife this morning, and I just was feeling some heavy things as I was putting the finishing touches on this sermon. And it's interesting what a sermon like this, and, and as you sit in a passage like Psalm 23, it's interesting what it can do to bring awareness for how much you actually needed to hear the thing that you're supposed to go and stand and talk to everybody else about. And so I had said that to Sharon this morning, and, and, and we just felt like it would be important for you to hear from us that even as pastors, we are not immune to things like grief and pain and, and the heaviness of a season. And, and even today, as I'm standing talking to you and we're about to get into this passage, even today there are places where I need to hear this repeatedly. And so again, you are not alone. And if you're experiencing pain and grief, that doesn't mean you're a bad Christian, because if it means you're a bad Christian that you have pain, then I should resign my job immediately because I also have pain. Thank God for his word and his Holy Spirit, and for Jesus our Savior and the lover of our souls who meets us in this place. 
And so as we practice the presence today, or as we learn how to do that, uh, I almost wanted to, to structure this sermon for you uh, almost as a devotional. I'll, I'll teach you some things, because I don't know that I can help myself. But, uh, but, but I, I really would like for you just to sit with this text today while we walk through Psalm 23 as a way of practicing the presence. Maybe even, I, I might say, as a, a way to pray the practice of the presence of God. I hope that over the next few minutes you would experience some peace and healing in the places where maybe you need it. Let's begin now by listening to Psalm 23. You, you're probably familiar with the 23rd Psalm. If, you, if you've ever been to a funeral, you have heard the 23rd Psalm. There's a really good chance of that. Uh, there's a really good chance that if you've ever experienced some kind of grief or mourning, someone has pointed you to this passage of Scripture. If you're not sure what it is by me just calling it the 23rd Psalm, I almost guarantee you'll recognize it as soon as I begin to read it. So, Lord, as we read your word today, would you speak to our hearts? Meet us in this place as we practice your presence through the reading of Scripture. Psalm 23 says this, The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. So Psalm 23 was written by David, King David. In fact, most biblical scholars would agree that we, we can't really prove this, but there's a, there's a really strong feeling or consensus that, that David wrote this later on in his ministry life. There seems to be this kind of settledness or weighty wisdom to Psalm 23 that you see in some of his later years, which is different than his younger Psalms when he's like, God, kill all my enemies, right? Uh, so he seems to have kind of settled down a little bit. We see King David here writing from his experience with God rather than calling for rescue or, or, or begging God to defend his, his name and his honor. Psalm 23 can be split into a couple of different ways. I, I think it's probably best split into two halves. Each of these two halves of Psalm 23 really show us a, a metaphor for God, and each of these metaphors serves as an invitation into God's presence despite or through our difficult circumstances. So David begins by referring to God as a shepherd. That's the first metaphor that we see. He says God is a shepherd. 
It's interesting that David begins this, this reflection by identifying God and then positioning himself in light of who God is. He, he calls God a shepherd very intentionally, right? Uh, scripture uses the imagery of shepherds a, a ton. God is used, uh, or the, the imagery of shepherd is used to talk about God as a caring provider and a source of protection and all kinds of other, even a deliverer, the one who, who rescues us a lot of different uh, times in Scripture. That's how we see God as shepherd. And even in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to, refers to even to himself as the shepherd and even the, the door into the place of safety for the sheep. Now, David himself would relate to the idea of shepherd. And the reason this is meaningful language for him is because he was a shepherd. So this old king is looking back on, on the shepherd boy that he used to be. I remember what it used to be like when I was the shepherd. Interestingly enough, culturally, the shepherd in a family of multiple boys or multiple children would usually be, uh, they would, if they needed a shepherd, they would pick the youngest one and throw them out into the field. And a lot of the reason for that is because, uh, well, you're just going to go out there and kind of almost live with the sheep. You, you might actually remember that there was a time in scripture where a guy was looking for uh, the king and, and who's, who am I going to anoint as the next king? And so the, the prophet goes into a guy's house and he's like, hey, line up all your sons. Tries to anoint the king. Guy keeps saying, he's not here, he's not here, he's not here. He goes all the way down the list. Where is he? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's the shepherd boy. He's the last son. Uh, he's out on the field. We didn't even remember, we didn't even think to invite him to this party. <laughs> The shepherd boy was, the, was, was kind of the put out one. Culturally, he was like the lowest job that you could have. Think of like the trash man in, in the society. Like it feels like a dirty job. It feels like, and by the way, if you're a trash man or you know one, thank you. We love you. Keep doing your job. It's a good job. It's important. We honor you. Uh, but, but you can see how culturally we would say, ah, that's kind of a stinky job. I hope you showered after we went to dinner or before, before you went to dinner. Right? I, hope, I hope, you, hope you clean off a little bit. That's how we would talk about the, the shepherds. Spend time with the filthy stuff, kind of low culturally. Isn't it interesting that God would pick the lowest cultural position and say, that's who I'm going to make you relate to me as, the shepherd. Isn't that interesting? And then, and then God says, oh, I'm the shepherd. What does that make you? The sheep. <laughs> I'll relate to the guy who, who does the job that seems culturally low, and you get to be the creature that makes that job culturally low. And I'm going to come and be that for you in your presence. So before we think, oh, God has really put himself low, we are lower. We're lower. Always. Which, which by the way, is why this David, who understood what it meant to be a shepherd, immediately didn't say God is a shepherd. He said the Lord is my shepherd. He said, I'm one of the sheep. I recognize that even me, the king of Israel, needs a shepherd. You see, David, and part of the, the tradition of the king of Israel is that the king of Israel was called to be a shepherd. In fact, there was one moment in 2 Samuel where the people of Israel reminded David and said, the Lord also said to you, you will shepherd my people Israel and you will rule over Israel. So the idea of being a king is entwined with the idea of being a shepherd when we talk about earthly kings, as well as when we talk about God himself. And so David knew that even though he had the weight of the entire kingdom on his shoulders, he needed a shepherd. And can you imagine how comforting that was for him to know, even though everybody's looking at me, 
I also have someone to look for, to look to, to look at, to submit to. David says, I'm, I'm, I, I know who I am, but, but I know who I am. Right? And I, know, and I know who's above me. I'm just, I'm just a sheep. Sometimes I'm dumb. Sometimes I get lost. I desperately need a shepherd. I heard one preacher say uh, that he, he said, you know, sheep are notorious for literally not knowing how to live unless there's a shepherd. There was this same preacher told a story about apparently there was a time where a lot of different shepherds from different regions came together and they were having a meeting about something or other. And while they were meeting, there was no one out tending their sheep. And there were all of these, just like thousands and thousands of sheep from all these different flocks out in this area. And where they were was right next to a cliff. And at some point during the lunch that all these shepherds were having, one dumb sheep decided, you know what would be a good idea right now is to just walk this way right off this cliff. And then in perfect illustration of how dumb sheep are, about 400 other sheep decided, well, if Brian's going, and one by one, 400 sheep, by the time the shepherds realized something is not right here, and they ran over and they herded the sheep away from the cliff. Now, that cost them money. That's, I mean, that's part of their livelihood. That was a significant loss for these shepherds. But it definitely reminds us, as sheep, we desperately need a shepherd. When it comes to our place of grief and pain, Psalm 23 becomes a gift of comfort as we practice the presence of God to know that we not only need a shepherd, but we certainly have one. And then David declares the first blessing of Psalm 23. He says, I have what I need. In other words, he's, he's saying these ideas are correlated. Because God is my shepherd, I have what I need. There, there's, there isn't a sheep with a good shepherd who goes without. And this is what God is saying about himself as well. Uh, it's translated it, not just I have what I need. It might be translated well to say I lack nothing. Or there is nothing that I need that I don't have provided for me. So David recognizes that he has a shepherd, that he has a caretaker, a provider. So he knew that his needs would be met. And then, of course, we can see that we have the same hope today, right? It's not going to be hard for us to make the jump, but let's make the jump so that it's super clear. In John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus says, uh, it is said of Jesus, as John is recording, that he said this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, which we understand now on this side of, of the crucifixion. The disciples heard this while Jesus was still alive during his earthly ministry. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then he makes a comparison. He says, the hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he's a hired hand and he doesn't care about the sheep. Jesus comes back to himself in this comparison. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. This is a really interesting thing to say when he says the, sh the shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. And what we understand historically is what happens is that Jesus ends up ascending to the right hand of the Father. And Jesus, the one who, the one who left, is still able to say, I'm always with you. I know you. You'll never be without me. I am the ever-present good shepherd. 
Now, we remember that what Jesus said was, it's good for me to go away because if I go away, I'll send the Holy Spirit who is the comforter. The comforter. The good shepherd, the comforter is present with us. So we read Psalm 23 in our grief and our pain and our brokenness and our need and our anxiety and our weariness and we see God, the good shepherd, is present with us. And what can we say as a result? I know that I have what I need. We've said from the beginning of this series, practicing the presence of God begins with an awareness of God's character and his presence. So when we experience pain, we have the ever-present shepherd ready to meet with us and fully able to care for us. So then from this place, and this, this place of dependence and this place of assurance on God, David then writes verse, what we see as verses 2 and 3. He, the good shepherd, God, lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life and he leads me along the right paths for his namesake. Here we can see David is making four specific claims about the work that God does as his shepherd. And, And we would read these as our shepherd. The first claim is this, he lets me lie down in green pastures. I love the phrasing there, and in most translations, it may be in your translation that it says he makes me lie down in in green pastures, or or maybe he causes me to lie down in green pastures. There's something there about, about the nuance of what David is writing. He doesn't force you. He gives you every opportunity to lie down in green pastures. He lets me, causes me to be able to lie down in green pastures. Now, the green pastures, just so you can get a a, a mental image, picture a hill in the Middle East which has uh, green kind of smattered all along the side, uh, the hillside, and the sheep would go and graze along the hillside, and that would be called the green pasture. Now, there's lots of different reasons why, uh, how that works kind of scientifically in this, in this kind of desert terrain, how you find green pasture. Uh, I want you to get a picture, though. This isn't the green pasture of like what we, what we might think of just rolling grass and beauty for you to lay down. We're sheep, remember? We're looking for something that feels safe, something that feels uh, comforting, somewhere where we can still see the shepherd when we are off grazing, so hillsides are really good for that. And then we're looking for a place where there's actually food resourced uh, for us. Does this make sense? So this this isn't a wheat field. This is the side of a hill where kind of wild grass is, is growing up for us to be led by the good shepherd. And God says, I'm going to allow you to go into those green pastures and rest. And rest. Now, when you need to get up and get food, you know what's good about the green pastures? It's right there. God's already provided. He's already brought you into the place where your resource is. He's right there with you. The green pasture is a place where sheep can go and graze, find provision, and also to find rest. Now, God, in a really radical way, speaks about himself in this way. In Ezekiel 34, through the prophet Ezekiel, he says, As a shepherd looks for his sheep on the day he is among his scattered flock, so I will look for my flock. I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on the day of clouds and total darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples, gather them from the countries, and bring them to their own soil. I will shepherd them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in 
all the inhabited places of the land. I will tend them in good pasture, and their grazing places will be on Israel's lofty mountains. There they will lie down in good grazing places. They will feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will tend my flock and let them lie down. This is the declaration of the Lord. So David drawing on this idea. God is a good shepherd. He promises there will be something of promise and blessing and provision for us. So we practice God's presence that when we remember that regardless of our circumstance, God is our source of provision. And he's also our inspiration for rest. So then David also says, the second statement, he leads me beside quiet waters. Now, the, the quiet waters are significant for sheep because if you take a sheep next to a roaring rapid, they will never drink. And then they will, uh, if the water in any way scares them because it's rushing too much, they won't go up and drink unless they're a dumb sheep like Brian who walked off a cliff earlier. They'll go up to the, the waters and if the waters are too rapid, sheep will go into the water and be swept away. So what a shepherd is looking for is quiet waters. So that the sheep will be safe if they go into the water to drink, but also they will feel safe to go to get a drink so that they will be actually be refreshed. So God leads us to waters that are refreshing and safe. And from that place of safety, rest, and refreshing, David then says, he renews my life. See, you can't have your life renewed if you aren't brought to the waters where you feel like it is safe for you to drink. And God is so wise and loving that he brings you to the waters where you feel safe to enter into his presence to be refreshed and to drink. And from that place, he renews my life. So the promise of the presence of God is the renewal of our lives, which really, I mean, flies in the face of how many of us view God. A lot of us, and for me, for a lot of years when I was younger, viewed God as this either distant or angry dad. He's waiting to punish his disobedient children. But in fact, God is a loving father who is ever present. He's always with us. He's desiring to welcome his tired and weary children or sheep into the restorative healing rest of God in the green pastures along the place of still waters. So we practice God's presence as we allow the good shepherd to shape and mold our lives in his presence to resource us, to renew our lives. Just like David wrote in Psalm 19 verse 7, the instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. But remember, practicing God's presence is not simply about lying around and doing nothing all of the time. Jesus didn't invite us into an unproductive life. He did invite us into an unhurried life, a place of rest. So then David adds this statement as a result of being renewed in the presence of God. This fourth thing that David says here, he leads me along the right paths in his, for his namesake. The grief and pain and loss, anxiety, all of this can be incredibly disorienting. But our good shepherd does not lead us astray. He, he doesn't lead us to, to go wander off on our own. And, and he doesn't give us permission or say, yeah, it's totally cool, Brian, if you want to just go run off that cliff. So when we face painful or difficult seasons, we can trust that God will lead us along the right path. If you are a person who practices the presence of God, you can trust that even if it feels a little bit disorienting, a dark, scary, Maybe there's anxiety in the season that 
that God is with you, and if God is with you, he must be leading you along paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Which, by the way, that, that idea for his name's sake is interesting, right? There's an element here that it almost feels as if God is saying, you know, if I was a shepherd, I don't want my reputation to be tarnished by being the God who just randomly throws a sheep off a cliff. Or just says, oh, well, you know, that Mark, I'm just going to let him go wander off. This is the good and faithful God to every one of his sheep. But I want you to understand, God's reputation as a dad, as a shepherd, is on the line. As a king, it's on the line. That should mean something to you. Parents, how many of your kids, when you go into the store, you're like, nah, yeah, we want this one to stay close. But if that one... Do not confess out loud which one you thought of just now. I know some of you which one you thought of just now. <laughs> no, of course not. You're good parents. You didn't think of any of your kids just then when you thought, well, you know, one of them could just wander off and it would be okay. Could you imagine what your friends would think of you as a parent if you were just like, yeah, we just won't care about this kid? You're a terrible parent. So every single time you go out into the world with your children and you protect them, you're doing that, maybe not aware, but your reputation as a parent is on the line. I think God actually does think the same way. This is why, you know why he leads us onto passive righteousness? For his name's sake. Why? Because every single time we're able to point to a moment where God was faithful to us, who gets the credit for that? It's not you, you're Brian. Without God, you were going to walk off a cliff. Without God, you wouldn't even know that the water was safe. You wouldn't have even found the water unless God led you to it. For his name's sake, he leads us along the right path. So that, so that every single time we can say God was faithful. So that every day you live, you can say God got me to this place. Psalm 23 becomes a source of comfort because we know it was God that got me here. It will be God who gets me to the next place I go. And then David doubles down on this idea. In verse 4, he says, even when I go through the darkest valley, or your translation might say, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff they comfort me. Uh, two quick observations here is that, uh, number one, David wrote when, not if. He didn't say even if I walk through the darkest valley. He said when. Deal with that. Part of being a human being is that God does not promise that we will never face darkness, but he does promise he'll be there with us when we walk through it. Through it. Not move into it, but walk through it. And then the second thing is that David's language shifts. The focus of David's language changes in this moment. So he says, it's nice to be on the pasture. It's good that God leads me by the still water. He leads me on the righteous path for his name's sake. And then notice when the intensity ticks up how David shifts his language. He goes, all of this wonderful, nice provision that God provides for us. And when I walk through the darkest night, God, you, you are with me. He talks about God. And then he says, and God in the darkest moment, you. It's almost as if David is painting a picture with his words that in the, the darker the season, the closer we need to have as a dependency of God. 
The darker the season, the, the more intimate our language should become. When, when everything is great and awesome, I can celebrate and praise. Oh, God has led me all through, through all the green pastures. Marcus, it's been so great. Let me testify to you. Let me, Gary, let me tell you about all the ways that God has led me by still waters. It's been so great to see how God has provided for me. And then when everything gets dark, I'm not talking to Espy anymore. God, you be with me. God, you comfort and protect me. In fact, David teaches us that God is still present in every single moment. And then he talks about valleys. Let's talk about valleys for a minute. The valley imagery is a part of the shepherding metaphor in David's mind because he would understand that if you're going to take a sheep from one pasture or a flock from one pasture onto another pasture, and these pastures are on hillsides, what's in between two hills is a valley. You live in one of those. You know what that looks like, right? Hills all the way around. And so he knows that we're going to take these sheep at certain points through valleys. What does a shepherd know when a sheep goes through a valley? We're going to new green pastures. Does a shepherd ever have his sheep live in the valley? No, we move through the valley. Some valleys get very dark. And sheep, are, we've already discussed this, not the brightest creatures in the world. And so there are moments when sheep going through the valley might get a little bit nervous. I don't like this environment. What's going on? It's darker here than it was over there, and there's not as much to eat. This doesn't feel pleasant to me. So valleys for sheep can be risky for a couple of reasons. Enemies can attack you in the, sh in the shadows of the valleys. Sheep can get lost in the shadows of the valleys. And yet David says, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. So David's not afraid in the valley because, and here's what he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, as I, when I was a kid, I always just thought David was being redundant just to like really emphasize his point, the rod and the staff, as if that's the same thing. It's not the same thing. If you had ever met a, a, an Israeli shepherd which I don't know if you ever have, but um, I did a little bit of research for you, so I, I, I have discovered over time what David was actually talking about. Now, remember, David was a shepherd, so he remembers the day when he had a rod and he also had a staff. He had both of these things. Now, the shepherding staff is the thing that you think of when you think of the ancient shepherds. It's the big, long thing with the hook at the top of it, and the shepherding staff was used so that uh, if a sheep was about to go somewhere where he wasn't supposed to go, let's say in the dark valley, uh, this sheep over here is kind of going off on wandering, the shepherd can actually take the hook of the staff around the neck and just gently guide that sheep back over into the path where it is supposed to go. Can lead you along the path of righteousness for his namesake. That's the shepherding staff. The rod, on the other hand, is if you're a little bit more stubborn. The rod is about this long. Think like ancient baseball bats. Some shepherds would actually have a place where it would just hang on uh, the side of, like on their belt, on their garment. Uh, maybe like, a, like the old, like the British uh, b police officer, the billy club, right? It's sort of like that. Uh, and this was designed for two reasons. Number one, for the really stubborn sheep, right? Like if, if the, the, the staff didn't work when I kind of just put the hook and gently guided you, well, I'm just going to take this thing out and smack you on the butt. And then, okay, now I'm going to scare you back onto the path. Anybody ever have God do that for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Second reason the rod exists is for when the wolves show up. So the rod is actually a source of protection for all of the sheep. 
And so this is why David says, if I'm a sheep and I look at the shepherd through the darkest valley, if I can just see that the shepherd has a rod and a staff, I'm comforted. The rod and the staff, they comfort me. Because I know that the rod and the staff represent that God will not let me lose track of the path that I'm supposed to go on if I practice being in his presence. And if, if I get really stubborn, it might sting a little bit, but that's how committed God is to getting me back onto track. And one thing that if you've ever studied shepherds and sheep is that you know that shepherds are even willing at certain points if a sheep keeps running off and getting off the track, you know what they do? They will break the sheep's leg. So, and then if you've ever seen a, a, a picture of a shepherd carrying a sheep over their shoulders, sometimes that is because they actually had to wound the sheep just so that they would stop running away. Like, I'm going to put you in time out for a second. And then when the leg heals, you've learned to stay close to me. You've learned to practice the presence of the shepherd. Right? But if any enemy would ever dare to come close, I've got a rod. So if I'm a sheep, I'm comforted by this because I know God is not only just, he's, he's deeply invested in me staying near him and learning the rhythm of walking near to the shepherd. But if any enemy would ever come, I don't have, I'm just a sheep. I can't even fight off a wolf. I'm a sheep. Which is why Paul reminds us that we don't actually fight our fight in the flesh. We fight it with, with prayer. And staying close to the shepherd. Because the rod and the staff, they comfort me. So even when we are in the darkest valley, the, the valley of the shadow of death, it means it feels like something is dying even though it's not physically an experience of death. We fear no evil because God is with us in the valley. He is protecting us from attack and he will keep us with the flock. So we can say what David wrote in Psalm 27 verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom should I dread? And furthermore, we can remember that we walk through the valley. Sheep go through valleys to get to new pastures. So if we find ourselves in a dark place, wisdom would tell us to remember God is leading me to provision. I don't know what it'll look like, and I don't know how long it'll take to get there. All I need to do is practice the presence of God in the valley. Then we can declare what Psalm 107 says. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them from their distress. He brought them out of the darkness and gloom and broke their chains apart. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love and his wondrous works for all humility. Or what Psalm 30 verse 5 says, weeping may stay overnight, but there is joy in the morning. Having said all of that, can... Can we just pause and listen now with our understanding to this first portion of Psalm 23, reflecting on how God is present with us in our difficult places. David wrote, the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths. For his namesake, even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Yeah. And here is where 
Psalm 23 seems to take a turn. David seems to blend in another metaphor. Continuing, David wrote, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. So here we see if God has already been called a shepherd, here we see the second metaphor that God is a good host. David is actually calling out this this Eastern cultural hospitality. If you've ever met a person from the Middle East, uh, they will welcome you into their home. If If you go to Israel and you meet a faithful Jewish person even today, they'll welcome you into their home. They'll They'll pour out all of their food for you. They'll, they'll give you a meal in the middle of whatever else you had going on. These people are very hospitable. In fact, Jewish custom said that if you met a stranger, especially on the Sabbath, you were practically required by Jewish law to invite them over for dinner. And then to at least, at the very least, invite them to stay the night. Please come and be our guest over, overnight. So David says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. You, you invited me in, and you didn't hold back. You invited me in, and you blessed and anointed me. And, you, and, and, and you, you provided drink for me so much so that my cup would overflow. Now, again, certainly this, this speaks to uh, the, the God, the, the good shepherd, being a generous host to us. All of, all of the blessings. But there, there's actually a, another element here to David's point. Side note, let me just say for a second, uh, Psalm 23 has been studied by theologians and found to be a deep well of theology and understanding about who God is. And so when I say there are layers here, I, I want you to understand there are layers upon layers upon layers of what God, can, of how we can see God working in and through our lives through Psalm 23. But if we were to look for a moment at, at one of the angles of this passage of Psalm 23, I think you can see that David is still talking about sheep. Notice where the table is set in the presence of my enemies. We were talking about sheep in the valley for a, few mo- a, a moment ago. In the valley, the place of the enemy, the place where attack can come, where shadows and, and thoughts can get and creep into my mind. So how, how did we get into the presence of the enemies? By walking through the valley of the shadow of death. There are enemy wolves looking to destroy us in the valley. Just for clarity, sometimes those wolves exist in your own mind. As you think and say crazy stuff about yourself, when a day gets hard, you go, God has certainly abandoned me. And yet God says, if you practice my presence in the valley, even with enemies around, you can be at peace. Enough so that you can sit and feast with me. So and that's actually why David, then the very next thing he says, he talks about oil. You anoint my head with oil. This is a common shepherd practice. Well, we've talked about this. If you've been around Life Church before and heard us talk about sheep, you've heard this. If, if this is new to you, I'll just explain this real quick, is that if you had a, a sheep and you wanted to protect that sheep from the bugs that could get into the ear of... Okay, so like you've got hands, and if a bug tries to crawl in your ear, you're going to... In fact, I promise you I'm going to see at least one of you just like do this in the next moment because now that I've talked about bugs, there it is. Um, <laughs> Because I talked about bugs going in the air, here's what would happen with sheep. They don't have hands, so that if a bug wants to go in, the best they can do is just shake their head a lot. But if a bug gets in their ear, this actually is a, a known problem for sheep, 
is that a bug can crawl inside the ear and get in the head of a sheep and then do whatever it does and kill the sheep. Now, you lay that over to you being the sheep. Whatever it is, the bug, the lie of the enemy, the, the words of, of the devil, the, the, the twisting of truth, the, the ways that you misunderstand the love of God, all of that is like a bug that can get inside of your ear. And if you don't have something to protect you, what gets inside of you can kill you. And so what does a, sh a shepherd do? Takes oil and pours it over the head, anointing the head of the sheep. And this is done so that no bugs can cling onto the wool of the sheep and crawl around in there and, and, and stay on the sheep until it can get into the ear to kill the sheep. So as certainly as, as human beings, when the gracious and generous host anoints our head with oil, that's a picture of blessing and the favor of God. But as sheep, it's also a picture of protection and the wisdom of God to say, I am in advance, anointing your head so the lie of the enemy cannot destroy your life. Come and sit, even in the midst of your enemies. Which, by the way, if you have a Twitter account, is the midst of your enemies. If you've been on social, if you've ever posted literally anything on Facebook, you've been in the midst of enemies. If you have ever had a Thanksgiving dinner with a person, who doesn't share your political views. You've been in the midst of enemies. I'm not talking about that person. I'm talking about those thoughts, those words, those ideas, that anxiety that can come when you get into the presence of a person who doesn't see eye to eye with you. And sometimes these people are actually physically our enemies. So we live in a world that has that has created division and divisiveness and, and, and social conflict and tension. We're canceling each other and we're saying terrible things about each other all the time. I don't know that the anointing of the head for the sheep metaphor has ever been more important in my lifetime for me to remember that God protects me from the things that I hear. And that when the things that I hear, the things that are around me, the things that might try to attack me, uh, come against me and try to tear my life down, it's really important for me to remember that God promised me no weapon formed against me will prosper. Not because I am special in the way that I act as a Christian, but because I'm so special to God the Good Shepherd that He poured out His anointing to protect me. But I don't get that anointing unless when I'm in the presence of my enemies, I can learn to sit down. I spend so much of my energy trying to convince myself that I can get through a hard day if I'm just a good enough Christian. So much energy is spent doing that. Can you relate to this? And that God would say, you know what I actually want when you feel like you're in the presence of a hard moment, in the presence of anxiety, in the presence of maybe even physical, emotional, spiritual attack. Of, there, there are enemies at the door. That God would say, you know what the best thing to do is? And we go, fight! Yeah, the best thing to do is fight! And God goes, no, the best thing to do is sit down and eat. Let me pour some more drink for you. Come on, still waters. I will renew your life here in this place. This teaches us, I do not need to run to the church building. I need to run to the presence of God. 
I mean, come to the church building, but, but you can do this on a Tuesday at work. Just sit and eat with God. This is why David says, even though I go through the darkest valley, I fear no evil. And then if that's not enough, David begins to land the plane of Psalm 23 by saying, only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell, live, I will thrive in the house of the Lord as long as I live. And I like the translations that say, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because it reminds me as I read that word forever, that as long as I live is forever. If I live in a relationship with Jesus Christ as my Savior. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, which goes on for eternity. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live, which is forever. And by the way, David repeats this desire in Psalm 27. He says, I asked one thing from the Lord. This is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking Him in His temple. For He will conceal me in His shelter in the day of adversity. He will hide me under the cover of His tent. He will set me on a high rock. In other words, God will be present with me and He will make sure I'm in exactly the right place to be protected. Which is exactly what Jesus taught when He was saying, hey, don't worry about all of the things that bring you anxiety. What are you going to eat? and What are you going to wear? and What are you going to drink? He says in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all of these things will be provided for you. Trust that I'm the good shepherd. So practicing the presence of God comes full circle. If we, when facing pain, grief, or enemies, pursue God, then you will indeed enjoy God's presence. And, and, and not just now, but for all of eternity. And we've said this already. We've said it during this series. But practicing the presence of God is not about finding God. It's about being aware that He is already with us. We find life and provision and protection and goodness and faithful love in God's presence. Not because we have earned it, but simply because we are sheep with a good shepherd. So as we've walked through the 23rd Psalm today, I would hope for two things for you today. Number one, that you can begin to see the deep beauty of David's words. As you read the 23rd Psalm, that you could see that these are beautiful words. And number two, that this psalm would feel like a gift of God's presence in difficult moments. David's words teach us a lot. I mean, we could study them for weeks and weeks. But they also serve as an outline for a prayer of practicing the presence of God, which is what we're going to do in just a, a moment. And, and as we move into that direction, I want to invite our prayer team to come and be available up here. This has been our practice for the last several months. Uh, to just have people who are here uh, to greet you, to meet you in a space of prayer. If there's anything after we take a few moments to pray together today that you want to talk or pray about, then I just want to invite those of you who've been coming up for our prayer team to come now and be ready. Now, earlier we, we started this message today by talking about our own pain and our own heaviness and anxiety and grief. And I, I want to invite you to do what is certainly a difficult thing to do. Can you, can you think intentionally about those places of pain? 
or anxiety or grief in your life for a moment. We're going we're gonna to pray through Psalm 23 together today. And as we pray, I want to invite you to, to present those places of pain in your heart to God. I'm going to pray for us. Then we're going to pray together the 23rd Psalm. Then I'm going to pray a blessing for you. When I say amen, then you're going to be dismissed to prayer or to fellowship with each other. And I hope, my prayer, is that God will meet us even now in this moment as we think about the places of heaviness and pain and anxiety and that the next time you are experiencing difficulty in your life, that the 23rd Psalm would be reminded to you by the Holy Spirit, that it would be a place where you can come and encounter God, practice His presence, and find some peace. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are simple sheep. You are our source of hope, peace, and joy. As we pray the 23rd Psalm together, God, would you meet us here and minister to our hearts. Heal us where we are wounded. Guide us where we are lost or disoriented. Protect us where we feel attacked. And remind us that you are an always present and always good shepherd. Will you pray with me the 23rd Psalm? Let's pray. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for His namesake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. God, hear this prayer today. Remind us of these words. And friends, in the name of Jesus, may you grow hungry for the presence of God and increasingly dissatisfied with the offerings of the world. May you find comfort in even the darkest valleys. And may the perfect love of Jesus cast out all your fear. May you enjoy the feast that God prepares for you. And may you find rest in the presence of your enemies. May you experience the goodness and faithful love of the shepherd. And may you dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.